Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to MXP number two. I'm Chris Pajak. That is Paul Machen. Before we get into it, uh, I just want to say from me anyway, and I'm sure Paul will add to this, thank you so much for all the feedback from last week's episode. It's been absolutely insane. Mm. I mean, over 400 comments, so many people getting in touch on Twitter, on Facebook, even on Instagram. It's actually been a little bit overwhelming, Paul. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely completely made up because there is a, there was a running joke, obviously, we got to 10K without any content. Put some modicum of pressure on your first piece of content, Just doesn't it? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And it's all of our own making, so no, I'm pleased that people have enjoyed it so far. Um, but it doesn't mean we stop. No, we go no. Again. There's a few people said it was the best video we've ever done. Wow. I disagree. Uh, well, I know what people, I mean, that's their opinion, isn't it? You can disagree or, or agree. It's. I mean, it should be. The, the most recent thing should always be the best thing we've done because we've learned along the way. See, I'm still a fan of the old Footy Manager series. That was that was it. That was something that I don't think we'll top for a long time unless no. we do it on this channel. No, we've had some requests to do it on this channel as well. Um, may, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I've had it. I've had it. I've had it written in my head for a long time. Um, <laughs> it would be lovely to go and do that again. If you've not watched the first series, that you don't know what to about the CMO One Hundred Two Challenge. It's on the Retro Football Channel. It's still there. It's it's still brilliant. Listen, anyway, it's time, and I've been trying to work this out in my head. What's the best way to say this? Because I feel like this section needs a jingle. Mm. It's the purge. The purge. <laughs> we definitely need a jingle for that I, I agree I think if someone we need can jingles. send in a jingle that yeah. would be incredible so yeah. it's the page first and foremost so what we're doing each and every single week is we're picking something Paul that's done our head in over the last week mm. so what is it this week for you mate? this is another one that I've, I've pulled from the archive because I've got a bank of them that have been doing me in my entire life but I've never had the platform on which to truly express how much I hate these things last week it was question marks this week it's people who can't see over the steering wheel of their cars this is not a shortest thing, by the way. This is a, an idiot thing because even in, and we're not even talking about the most modern of, of motorised vehicles, it's possible to adjust the seat. It is. But literally, and this is one of those things, and if you've never got onto this before, now that I've mentioned it, I apologise, because it's like when you get a new car or you're looking to buy a new type of car or your mate gets a new car and you see that car absolutely everywhere all of a sudden like I'd never noticed the Citroen Picasso in my life until you had one and I see fucking them. tons of them mate. they're everywhere and they're all in my colour they're all absolutely everywhere um, <laughs> and I'm like oh Chris Chris no it's not Chris um, honestly like how can people think it's acceptable to drive a car when uh, basically you can't you can't you, 
your, your vision is obsc- obscured of the road by the steering wheel. How can... Police will stop you for, for being on your mobile phone. I'm sorry, but if I'm on my mobile phone, I can still see the entirety of what's in front of me. I, you know, people like getting the getting football and makeup on and all these kind of things. Again, you, you look... It's... Someone just needs... If you've got a family member who does this, pull them to one side. It can't be safe. It cannot be safe to effectively have a, a semicircle across your across your vision. Get or if worst case get a booster seat or something because you can't, can't be, be slightly embarrassing though getting a booster seat. I honestly, it's uh, what's more embarrassing being in a booster seat or crashing your car into someone because you cannot see the car in front of you because you've got a fucking I'm steering wheel. I'm not sure in your face. what's more embarrassing. I think the booster seat might be more embarrassing. I mean, okay, you can you can blame someone else for the car crash. Yeah, I know, but it's like. Uh, it's like using a novelty condom or no condom. It's a bit embarrassing having a novelty condom, but like maybe it's not embarrassing having an illegitimate child or having to go through being a parent. <coughs> Safety first is what I'd say. Okay, I like that. Mine's emails. Just emails. Well, no, I'm going to break it down a little bit <laughs> more than emails. Like your email inbox. Yeah, my email inbox. So when did emails become the new instant messaging? Mm. As in like someone will email you and then you'll get a WhatsApp them off them. Like five minutes later, did you see my email? Yeah, I, I did. Did you want to reply straight away? Because it didn't say fucking urgent on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, emails have become this thing that you need to drop everything for and send the reply. I have a, I have a rank order of, of importance and what I will respond to. And it goes face-to-face, phone call, yeah. text slash WhatsApp. Probably WhatsApp slightly above because you've got the, the red thing on it. Um, and emails is emails is down there with uh, the only thing that's below emails is the written letter. Um, emails I treat emails like they're meant to be. That it's electronic mail. I will get to it when I'm good and yeah, ready. You know, I think you've got four days before you need to respond to looking, an email. If you're honestly, looking, and if it's important, fucking phone me. Yeah, can My I word like? Can I ask a question? Go on. I know the answer, but for the listeners, how many unread emails on average do you have in your? It, it, email inbox I mean right now mm-hmm. none <laughs> I think I have 22,000 yeah and I'm always I'm fascinated we talked last week a little bit about the differences in personality I, I think there are genuinely you know there's so how many, many ways to how many email people. folders have you got in your inbox I have a handful but I don't use them it's mainly them I mainly use them for you so it's like I have an invoices one and that's only because like every year when the accounts come round, you go I need the invoice for the things that were set up in my name through my account that need to go to you. And it's like, and I go, oh shit, and here's what I actually do. And then I type in invoice into my full inbox and then I drag them there. I don't do it, I don't do it as I go along. Uh, yeah, there's a handful, there's, there's probably one, there's, in fact, there's still one that's called Couch Corner, which is from the very early days of Redmond when Darren Farley used to come in and he used to answer people's uh, agony answer yeah, 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 uh, yeah. things. Can't imagine where I got the idea for that. From for this podcast, um, so you no, know, I, I don't. Yeah, go on. How many? How many have you got? Uh, maybe fifty, maybe fifty different folders for all the different things that we do. Yeah. But then I can find stuff, so it does help. Mm. Um, I, I can find stuff too. It's called the search bar. I I, listen, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. But it fundamentally ends up the same. If you end up with a hundred or two hundred or whatever emails inside a subfolder, and then you're having to use the search bar to find it in that. It no, you don't. 
You know, so okay. you, you know. So did you delete them out of the you, folder? Once they're used, they're used. They're done. They're, they're, you know, I'm okay. not going to go into the intricacies of my folders because you're I've definitely right on this. Filing <laughs> okay, so we won't go into the intricacies. We'll just leave it there. It's you. It's you, and you go like, I've got all my emails to sort. And I'm like. That's not a thing. It's How is that a thing for you there? You're like, I've got to spend the day sorting my email. It's like, I would have to dedicate a significant portion of my life. I, 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 you could put, the amount of time you could weigh it against other things, like you could watch the entirety of Game of Thrones from start to finish in the time it would take me probably to sort my, my, my emails out. Probably more, to be, per- to be perfectly honest. And the other thing that's been doing my head, and I know we're only supposed to do one, mm. but it's the first time that this has ever happened to me, Paul, is that Robin got mm. given some school... No, Robin... That's never happened, Paul, and it never will. Um, Robin's got given some school homework to do over the Easter holidays. Mm. She's in fucking reception, by the way. Mm. And they gave her this big folder, and I thought, oh, that'll be dead easy. We'll just sort that on, like, Easter Monday or something. And I, luckily, I opened it up on Easter Sunday, and I realised how much work we had to do. And we basically spent three hours Easter Sunday doing it and then had to leave my mum's early on Easter Monday to then come back and finish her homework for her. And it had, like, a diary. And it had all these type of phonics things with the, the sounds from the middle of the word. One of them was po- pointing at a plane, right? Yeah. And the, the sound was E.T. Yeah. Right, and that, that's, to me and you, that's easier to jet. To a four-year-old who's never called it a jet in her life. Mm. Oh, my word. It was hard. It was hard graph. But the diary, I blagged it. What I did was, she had this fucking, like, 12-page diary to do. And I was like, diary's going to take a long time. A 12... She's four? I know. And has about six words that she can spell. One of them being her own name. Yeah. The, and the other three, three of them, my name the is. Oh yeah, and so we went, we went to a lot of places and stuff. So I, so what I ended up doing was printing a load of pictures out and essentially filling half the book with pictures, so that then when Robin was asked by the teacher what she did, she didn't have to read what she'd written in case the words weren't something that she'd automatically know. She could look at the picture and blag the teacher. So essentially, I spent I spent a weekend blagging a four year old's homework for her. I mean, I've done not to that level because, like, <laughs> the when they say you you take like the the class teddy bear home and it's like print off pictures of what it's done. It's like a fucking printer, a printer. Great. I'll. I mean, like, I've got something that amounts to a printer somewhere in a box in ours, but that's worky. So I know you've got it. You've got a printer. I'm fair play. Lots of people do have printers, like, but. Like I'm printing pictures off and cutting them off. Nah, you're all right, mate. I'm not gonna be doing that. I mean, I'll make them draw something. But my so Jack's got he's seven and he's got his sats coming up. They have sats apparently. That's seven. Now this old. is the thing. We've been told not to get into politics, but there's a degree to which, like, I am almost prepared to throw my entire political weight behind. <laughs> Behind the Labour Party solely because Jeremy Corbyn came out this week and said we're going to fuck sats off. We're going to just fuck sats off for under for under a certain age. Yeah, nah, I don't mind it because it's about really. That's when you're really getting sorted into the the prop to proper genuine morons and really, really, and really, really bright people. It makes a big difference when you get to senior school level seven. We got under this book and it's like the, the basically his teacher. <laughs> Seems like a lovely lad, but he's a he's a brand new first year teacher, and he looks like he's a massive shit house, and he's a, he's panicking about his life and, and and his role. So he's just putting it all on us, like we're bad, bad, horrible parents for not working through what amounts to the war and peace <coughs> of 
homeworks over the Easter period. That's nah, all right. I'm going to take him to the park, thanks, and I'm and we'll let it worry out. My wife's stressing about it. Can't got to make sure he gets good sleep in the week that he's got his sats. He's fucking seven years old. Um, it's too young, isn't it? It's like, ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous, and I blame this. I blame the teacher. Well, let's get on to some of the news and stuff. Then let's Ooh. let's talk about Game of Thrones first and foremost. And one thing that I think we we picked up on last week time codes. It's timestamps, yeah. So we've got to uh, getting the timestamps and stuff there. Uh, so if you want to miss out the Game of Thrones chat, you can go to the next one. Um, I thought it was an incredible episode, Paul. I think mm. it's setting up probably the biggest fight in TV history in the next episode, which will be, yep. I guess, the Battle of Winterfell. Sure, it's um, yeah. I, I, I was really pleased with, it. and I realize <laughs> it's when you realize halfway through the episode that there's not that many episodes so there can be no more drawing it out or, or fighting about it. I'm a big fan of Dragon Ball where a fight where the universe is about to collapse in, in 30 seconds and it takes five episodes to do it. So I'm all for that kind of drawing out storytelling but clearly they're like it's going to be by next by next light. Oh, amazing. The disappointment came of course that it, it all it's all ready to go off and then the episode ends and it's like... Ah, oh. but I was so happy with that. I I like that. I like setup episodes when they're done well. Yeah, but also I live in I live in box set culture. I'm now just wishing I'd just swerved it for. Uh, two, week, for two months and two. just watch the whole But it's supposed whole to be the, the longest episode of Game of Thrones ever, mm. so it, you, you're probably talking an hour and ten, hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes long. It's mm. going to be a massive battle, isn't it? Yeah. On the scale of Lord of the Rings type battles yeah. as well. Can we can we talk about what was the best moment and what's led to one of the best memes that I've seen in the in the in the aftermath after to it? Giant's milk. Yeah. Giant's milk. And I've seen there's a picture of him and you can it's an, it's made as an advert for Giant's milk effectively. <laughs> um it just one of those lads of looking somewhat deeply in the eye and saying giant's milk I, I sucked at a tits for three months, know, for three months and it, giant's milk it made me strong <laughs> someone should be doing someone should do that with milk just do try that in a bar don't get bevied get yourself a pint of milk and basically say milk calcium makes me it makes me the strong powerful man that i am and then maintain eye contact nice. with a bird whilst while swinging an entire pint of ice cold milk off if someone does that, let me know. It I was an incredible know. scene, and he was, actually, on my wife and he was actually the only sort of comedic um, character in the episode that wasn't he? He was the one that kind of broke it. There was a few a few times during yeah. the episode where you, you laugh for a few seconds, and then oh yeah, they're all gonna die at some point here. <laughs> yeah. But that's that fireplace scene, Paul. They had uh, I've written them down here. They had Brienne of Tarth, or just the big lady, uh, Tyrion. <laughs> Pod, Giants, uh, Giants, Bane, Kingslayer, and Davos. Mm. I want to ask you, who's going to survive from that round the fireplace chat? If anyone, Tyrion, Tyrion, and that's it. I, 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 the, I like the way they set the, they just subtly set Pod up as like he's going to be able to hold his own all of a sudden. Because <coughs> let's be honest, prior to that bit where he's just all of a sudden capable of fighting, it's dead easy for him. He was dying in three seconds, wasn't he? So at least it gives him the opportunity. He's probably going to do something. I wonder whether that's a bit on the nose that you might think, oh, look, he might survive here, and then nah. Um, but I, as, as I've said, ultimately with my predictions last week, I can't see a world where everyone, you, everyone you know and love, doesn't die in this series. So if you've got any shred of feeling towards any of these characters, unlucky because you, you're getting ready. So to I've it. got Brienne of Tarth is about to get killed, and Giant's Bane comes in and saves her, mm-hmm. which and that is like. And as he's dying, he realises that he saved her, and that's absolutely cool. But then, as soon as he's dead, Brienne dies anyway. Uh-huh. She just gets killed off anyway, so that was all for now. Okay. And then Kingslayers are gonna. 
Davos, there's been all this talk of how for the last what, two episodes probably is that I can't fight and yet I've survived these battles. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, then you, you, you're dying in this one. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion, I actually think, is going to die. And Pod is probably going to die as well. So I'm going to say that none of them survive from in this fireplace. In this battle, so none of them gets to go, <laughs> none of them gets to see Cersei again, and none of them None gets of them, su- not, not in this battle. Ah. Because I, I think what happens after Winterfell is they all retreat to King's Landing at some point in the next yeah. few episodes, and there's another big Oh, well, in that there. instance, yeah. Well, okay, well, who survive, who's not surviving the battle? Who's, who's dying in the Battle of Winterfell? Okay. Davos? Probably. Giant Bane? Maybe. Pod? Probably. And Brienne. Okay. I, so Tyrion. given a heroic moment. Tyrion. She, maybe. And Kingslayer survive to go back to King's Landing. Yeah, because no, because they sent. they might just kill them. Well, anyway. they've sent Robson Green down to, to kill them, haven't they? So there's no way you don't set that up without the having. So they're safe, they're safe for now. Can we just <laughs> draw attention to you before we, before we move on from the Game of Thrones stuff? Like, could they have set up any better? Everyone in the crypt dying? No. Like, not really. it couldn't have been any more. Signposted and blatant. If they just had like some sort of completely out of place neon pointing arrow that says "Death lies down in the crypts," um, it's it, it, you know the thing. The thing up. that interests me about that is there's loads of dead bodies down there, mm. so you just need a white to get down there, raise all the dead Starks, and then everyone's fucked. Ooh. One white needs to get down there. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Happen. That Everyone. could be interesting. Everyone, that, could you what... could you then see a headless Ned Stark? Flying round and holding killing this, people, holding his head and hobbling like is what is. So is ultimately why, what I think will happen. Then is that everyone's set up for this <coughs> me- m- massive mega battle. They've got the plan where they're going to try and get the Nighting. Blah blah blah. The, the dead end up coming out from inside of Winterfell. Winterfell gets over and all the people in there die. Maybe Sam is it? Sam Tarly. Maybe he he sacrifices himself to save some. You know, a couple of people like the the, the girls or whatever, and. Then they, they, they have to disband and fucking leg it basically, so you don't get maybe quite the big epic be all and end or battle that we, we thought it was all. The other thing that's interesting is the brands obviously being set up as the bait here. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. That's not going to work it's well too, at it's, all. It's too early. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just a stupid idea. Mm. It's it's a it's it's a gambling man's way of winning a war. That isn't it. That's mm. what they're doing. And and basically, I think that, that you know the the Night King is going to kill them all off there. Okay. Um, so we'll end the we'll end the Game of Thrones chat there. We'll come back to that next week, of course. You wanted to talk about the fallout from City Spurs. Yeah, it's it, we're a week on from it, so it, you know <laughs> we've all had time to live in that world. We've had a time to live in the VAR madness world for a bit. And I don't want to get into the VAR stuff at all because it's a whole other day uh, worth of discussion, but. I loved the stuff that came off the back of it. We didn't get a chance to do this because we recorded this well, just like before that. So I, I come to that. The, the two things that wound, I loved and wound me up, there was the fella who left early and, and got caught on camera basically think, thinking that City had won. I know you're very disappointed. Uh, very disappointed we won? No, it's disallowed. Was it? Yeah. What was he doing? What what goes beating in the traffic? No, but exactly. But like, I love the fact that he just went. There we go, done and dusted. On we go. Here we go, marching our way to semi-finals. Um, no, I'd love to see the full interview of that. I would give anything. The, the three and a half minutes of them telling them why they are not, why they are out. Yeah, and them just sitting sitting down on the floor <laughs> and rocking for a bit. Um, what a fucking idiot! Like, just grade A massive knobhead. Like. It was like 30 seconds. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of those videos, are like, you realise it, it's like two minutes is a long watch on Twitter, but I stuck it out, particularly that, that, that 360 degree video where you got to see the reaction of them and the hearts all breaking and all that, which was just delicious, but um, that, the one that, that really got me, and look, bearing in mind, we, we, we dedicated a section of the podcast last week to, you know, sometimes you can film stuff and you can make a mistake by putting it out there in the public, but there are just some things that I think are massive alarm bells, and they are... If you record your reactions, if you're holding a camera and recording your facial reactions to a, to a football match, and then something goes horrendously wrong in that football match. Delete. Or... Best case scenario is you leave it on your phone until you, you, your phone goes out of date and it, and it stays in a drawer for the rest of the time. <laughs> maybe in some sort of nostalgic thing about 10 years from now, you find that wire and you get it go, oh, fucking hell, there was me, there was me at that. That video, because there's a kid who's done it and he's a young lad and I don't even know, I don't know where he's from, whatever, he's a Man City fan, clearly. Why, who's put that out? Has he put that out? Has someone robbed it off him? Is that like, because that's like, I'd rather, I would almost rather have a fucking sex tape leak than me reacting to Liverpool and like heartbreaking Liverpool moments. I'd rather be, I'd rather be, well, Deli Ali was a shit sex tape, wasn't it? But I would rather, <laughs> I would almost rather have a leaked sex tape where I'm being dominated by someone really, un, really uncool. Like, you know what I mean? Than, than film that and have that be, that that I'd be put out there. Like, find it. Ali, we, we do it in Redmen all the time, don't we? We film stuff, but we just don't bother putting it out when it's when we lose. You yeah. know, those story, the matches, they never go anywhere because yeah. you're not making content for us at yeah. that point. You're making content for someone else, yeah. not I, Liverpool fans. I can only imagine. I think I saw a journalist reacting to it this way and saying, like, I can only imagine, like, it's because th- that kid has now got the. the attention that he was <laughs> seeking with that because we're now talking about it and people have talked about it whatever just weird 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 just I don't know that's it's a culture I don't like about it look I film at football matches I do occasionally I put my face in it but it's normally just me going and then and then, and then move on mainly just so that when I look at it in years to come I can remind myself that I, that I was there and also you know for the thumbnail um but the but the, I, I've never I've never understood I find it really, I find it really uncool. I find selfie camera. I, I, whenever I accidentally turn the camera on my phone, it's facing me. Like, ah, I, I mean, I get, it, it, get that. Yeah, 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 horrendous. So the idea of being stood there looking at it for for that time, no, nah, not not for me. And the last thing is the VAR caps. I am a big fan of entrepreneurial spirits, and I, um, I kind of, I kind of love the VAR <laughs> cap. It's very much got a very a small place and moment in time, but someone's had the wherewithal to do that. Someone's made a, an absolute ton of cash this week, and then they'll, you know, they'll they'll move on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I love the fact that they've done the VAR caps. I don't like the fact that the kid was recording himself. I love the fact that the fella left early. And that that should be. That's just, everyone should take up, you know, stand up and take notice of that because that's what happens when you when you leave football games early for what? Like I don't get it. Like yeah. there are people, and I, listen, I go to the game with someone, James, and if he's watching now, he won't mind me saying this. He travels up from London, and there are times when he has to leave early to get a train, yeah. and that I can understand. He's leaving Tottenham game. He left fifteen minutes before the end, and he was at home baked when Liverpool scored the winner, and he he had that moment. And he t- he told me next time I met him. He's like, I almost ran back to see if I could get back into the ground, but it was too late. Yeah. He was at home, mate. But he's got to, you know, he travels two and a half hours to get up for the game. He can't even watch the full game, and he travels two and a half back. Yeah. I get that. But I, I used to go to the footy with my dad's mates 
when I was younger, and we'd be leaving 15 minutes before the end just to beat the traffic. Yeah, my my my, my dad always said like. <laughs> You'd go out, go halfway into like injury time. So if there was four minutes injury time, you'd wait two and then and then get off. Unless, but like never in that circumstance ever, 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 ever. Because these are <coughs> once in a lifetime things. Everything changes until the final whistle's blown. You're not going to know whether you, whether you, it, 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 it's done and dusted. And you want to stay and see, soak it up a little bit, like you know. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, that. I, I mean, I, I, my issue with that, and I, I know, I know, James, and I like, I like James, and is that I don't. It doesn't. It's not for me, you know. If, if you, I, I don't. I don't think I'd bother going. You know, I, I wouldn't. If I if I had to leave before the end of the game, I'm not really at the game. I'd rather be in a, a situation where I'd, I could watch the full, the full match. I'd almost rather be in a pub watching it than than, than, than not be able to watch the, the watch the full thing. But they're getting off early. Things always done my head, and because you know we fell afoul of it as a kid, I've, as, a, a couple of times as a kid, I remember missing an equalising goal and Emilewski scored one, and we were in the car park outside the the centenary at the time. <laughs> Shit, because look, the, that's the gamble. You pay, you know, you you take your chances. <laughs> but in that situation, you you know, it's 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 wonderful, delicious irony, and the, the guy got everything he deserved. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, and it's actually a little bit about Manchester United and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, we're filming this before the Manchester United Man City game. We're not going to talk about that at all, Paul. But I wanted to I wanted to have a conversation with someone about. Should should he be worried for his job at some point soon? I've just spent just randomly. Uh, I was watching one of the, the post match shows. I was watching Gary Neville's post match reaction to the Everton game on Sky, and then it bled into um, James Richardson and, and James Horncastle and um, <coughs> John Northcroft on what the, the Premier League TV show or whatever, talking about the, the, the aftermath and blah blah blah. They are all, I think, I say all because you can't tarnish a, a whole a whole fan base with one brush or whatever. I think they've put the managerial thing to one side. Even the mainstream journalists are not. No one's questioning because it's been too soon. He hasn't had a chance to put his blah 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 blah. And he did such a such a great job when he came in that I think he's just built up enough bank of things and they're talking about him being this getting back to the old way of United etc etc um, the old the people are now talking about the Glazers again which I think for United is important because that's always been the issue they were just a bit blinded to because when you're getting success on the pitch you tend not to care about all the other things all of, all of a sudden um, so I think Solskjaer's job is safe but I think obviously we don't know how the City game's going I think if that was if they get if, they, if, they, if they've been absolutely tonked in that you might start to get a so, few dissenters. I know that Manchester United haven't scored a goal in four of their last eight games. Mm. I know that Manchester United haven't scored a goal from open play in 437 minutes of football. <laughs> Why do you know that? Because I read an article on it oh, this right, morning. That's okay. Yeah. Right? And I know that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was given the job probably, and I'm guessing this actually, I don't know, um, probably off the back of them, the Woodward making a commercial decision over a footballing decision because they should have just waited until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. There was no need to give him the job at the time that they gave him the job yeah. other than a bit of fan pressure or something mm -hmm. like that. I also, I've, I've heard that Manchester United are now running almost a skeleton's crew and I think that Manchester United will be on the selling block is what I'm reading into that right. so the Glazers I believe that you know when the fans stop talking about the manager like you say they'll start talking about Woodward and what Woodward's done over the last few years is he's managed to deflect the talk from the Glazers onto other people Mourinho mm -hmm. being one of them players and stuff like that 
They've now cut the cost. Manchester United now, I think I'm right in saying, the most profitable football club in the world. Again, this has all happened under the Glazers, but they're obviously servicing a massive debt. Mm. That says to me that Manchester United will probably be up for sale. Cool, it doesn't way. look like they're building to compete at the top of the Premier League. It looks like they're trying to pad the numbers out to make it more profitable, to make a big sale. And and I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer shouldn't be worried until at least Christmas. Mm. If they start next season poorly then I think he should be worried. And it's mad because I think we're still in David Moyes' original contract there. Yeah, I know. I <coughs> don't think there's a chance in hell Solskjaer finishes next season as the United manager. And I said that before he, the day he was announced uh, as caretaker manager th- this season. I'm, I'm starting more and more, though, to see this very <laughs> slight possibility. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson as caretaker manager next season just to steady the ship or whatever for a bit he's hanging round he's he's already because he's getting more and more involved you know what I mean all the talk about him you know offering advice and all that he's being called on more and more and I wonder whether he just gets tempted just like a little put a little toe in the water to just come out for like a you know the end of the season they're waiting on a manager for example (laughs) and he just gets tempted to come out what I love about the social stuff is I love about Man United, the Man United stuff is as, as a Liverpool fan is watching them fall into all the same pitfalls that we've been falling into for the last 30 years and I see like Solskjaer took up was apparently taking them to the cliff which is their old training facility ahead of that game and it's like so apparently apparently they've been, they've been upkept reasonably but he's taken them to these outdated outmoded you know facilities that you know united built carrington because it was it wasn't good enough what they had what they had initially but he, he's playing on this nostalgia factor and that's where that's how he got the you know he got everyone up and running and all the fans on behind because like oh look it's ollie ollie's, ollie's at the wheel all, all the, the old songs understands the club he's got the connection to Alex figures he remembers what it was like when united won the treble when they're at their absolute best and now it's so brendan rogers it's unbelievable. It's Brendan bringing back the old uh, this is Anfield sign. Yeah. It's Brendan bringing back the red nets. <coughs> it's trying to foster this nostalgic feeling rather than building something in the here and now that's new, but like has it, uh, you know, because the Liverpool way is just basically winning football matches. <laughs> Ultimately, how you go about achieving them, as long as you win more loads and loads and loads of football matches and win silverware, that's basically the Liverpool way. Uh, pass the ball a little bit, and I think he's, I think he's trying to buy himself time by trading in on like uh, everyone's warm fuzzy feelings of the past. And I think it's absolutely. It's not. I don't think it's. Good. I, I mean, I must admit, I, I thought it would work, and I thought next season United might be. Decent. Um, I thought they'd be definitely top four next season. That was only like three weeks ago, probably the last time I thought like that. Mm. And watching the way that they've sort of capitulated, most recently, of course, against Everton and stuff. And now I'm thinking to myself, this this fella hasn't got a fucking clue. Mm. It's all good trying to do it Fergie's way, but you're not Ferguson. And that's the difference. Mm. Ferguson was one of the best managers that's ever lived. It's, and you're only going to Solskjaer. They got Cardiff relegated, but honestly, it's like deal or no deal <coughs> management. It's like it's like going, oh Pogba, you're not performing. Oh, I'll get I'll get Sir Alex on the phone. You know, I think with my kids all the time. Oh, do you want me to bring your teacher? Do you want me to bring your teacher? Oh, oh, oh do you want me to bring your nana? Oh, nana will come down and sort you out. It's like oh, 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 I'm I'm dialing the number. I'm dialing it, and it's like oh my god, just just either make make Ferguson the manager again or just. Do like he's not even parking in the manager's spot, is he? Apparently no, because he's like that's the gaffer spot. I'm he's sorry, mate. Grow a pair of fucking balls from me to you. You're the manager of Manchester United, not Sir Alex Ferguson. 
Ferguson. Give him, a, give him another spot. Give him the Sir Alex Ferguson spot. You're the fucking manager. Go and fucking park in your own spot, you absolute divvy. Gang of weirdos. Honestly. Uh, anyway. Last uh, one. Last one. You want to talk about Shane Long? Shane Long scored the fastest Premier League goal That's in history. Mm, Shane Long, everyone. Shane Long, who hadn't scored a goal this season until he scored against us, and then scored the fastest goal. Seven seconds fastest Premier League. Have you seen it? Yeah. It's hilarious. It's, it's a good finish. I always wonder whenever you watch those <laughs> fastest goals, because there's only so many ways in which it can happen from the kickoff, and um, I wasn't expecting it to be that. It took me, I hadn't figured out. The same way, I which, was thinking, how are you going to get this ball to Shane Long? Yeah, I wasn't, I couldn't quite figure out who, <laughs> it took me that long, basically, to just go, okay, that's Southampton, yeah, and that's it, and then, and, uh, oh, he's in, and there he is, and he scored, okay, brilliant. I love that, I love the fact that Shane Long, I like Shane Long, I think he's actually a decent player, he's not a great goal scorer, but I am, um, I, I love the fact that it's basically that's probably never going to get broken unless someone scores directly from it, you know, as a, as a dig straight from the kickoff at some point. Um, I like the fact that random, weird, not very good players hold mad records in, in big divisions. I think that's a proper throwback. That's enough for talking about Shane Long for me, to be honest with you, Paul. That's far too much. I didn't ever think we'd discuss Shane Long on this podcast with two episodes in. Told you. There's not been a Buffy reference. And yet we've talked about Shane Long. Mm. Expect. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Unexpected, what can I say? Right. Um, last week we talked a little bit about, obviously, the Rent Boys stuff and how it affected me. And this week um, I wanted to talk about something from your past. Um one of the comments that we had from William Andreasen last week was says, sometimes you guys, who I love, by the way, talk about your life before Redmen. For example, you talk about the restaurant. Could you tell us more about that? Give us your history, your story, pre-Redmen. You'll never walk alone. Excuse me. <coughs> can we just can we just have a little like can we just drop a little like and send some hearts in the comments for Chris, by the way, who is suffering more than any man should have to suffer. And also he's not well. Yeah. It's true. I'm sweating under these lights as well. You know, <laughs> you're burning all out. I need, I need some makeup. Spare a thought for looked, me and I've Sai. I've just locked in the lights. Yeah, spare a thought for me and Sai. You are an enclosed, hermetically sealed room with Chris, who is the sickest man on earth, and not like a, like you're a sick MC. No, I am. I'm not. Um, so uh, let's talk about pre Red Men then. Um, mm. 
Let's talk a little bit about your job history first and foremost before we dive into the into the topic that I want to talk about. So you've got a degree at university. Mm, just about. And then you came back to Liverpool. Yeah. You stayed in Sheffield for a bit, actually. No, I st- yeah, I finished I finished uni <coughs> and I was well, I was so certain that I'd failed my degree that I was like, I can't come back to Liverpool. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't come back to Liverpool with me with me sort of tail between my legs, so I need to get a, I need to get a job. So I was working in a pub at the time and I kinda of worked my way up the chain there a little bit to be like assistant manager. So I did that and I stuck around and I you know, mates in a, a life in, in Sheffield at this point in a, a house and uh, that I was renting and what have you. So yeah, I I, I did that. Um and then I don't even oh, you've had to know, I'll tell you what it was. It was on a it was on a whim, it was the the Champions League run of 2004-2005 for Liverpool and we, we beat Leverkusen in the first leg of like the round of 16 or the quarters or whatever it was and um, I, something happened around that and I was like I just can't I, I'm bored of being here I need to be back in Liverpool this is clearly where it's all going it's time to go and reclaim my life and recapture it and all this kind of stuff and I'm going to move back and I'm going to make films and I'm going to do got, all this going pretty serious with a girl at this point where did that fit in? At the time, were you, were you engaged to her? No, God, no, no, not at all. No. <laughs> I, um, this time, no, I was, I was, no, I was. No, this is, this was, um, this is me enjoying the spell of time where I was young and living and basically living above a pub and had access to to beer and, and lock-ins and taking advantage of all the uh, all the glorious things that come with having a, a building full of girls who want to stay and have a drink with you kind of thing. Like so, no, I very much, very much was single, single at the time, and then. Yeah, just on a on a on a whim, <laughs> move back to Liverpool, and um, yeah, I thought I expected it all to be like to naturally follow. Well, I've got I, I, I've got my degree uh, ultimately, and I've got all these ideas. I've got a notebook full of ideas. I'm gonna get a bank loan, and I'm gonna buy a camera, and I'm just gonna start filming them. And um, I got turned down for the bank loan because I'd fucked my credit up by just yeah. getting me overdraft over the top and having a credit card that I didn't pay, and blah blah blah. And I ended up. Back in Liverpool, on the dole, living in my mum and dad's house, and just you know living hand, living hand to mouth instead. So yeah, not quite the success so, I was hoping for. So so once you realised that you weren't going to make a success of it, then what did you what did you then turn to? Did you go back into pubs then? So yeah, so that was when I was because <coughs> it's hard for me because it's. Well, we're talking probably fifteen years ago. Yeah, pretty much. So the, 14, ta- yeah. the time scale, alone, I obviously knew yeah and was there and a big part of all this. The time scale just doesn't match up in my head. Where did British Gas fit in? So I, so God, let me work it out. I, I, yeah, I moved back to to Liverpool. And I got you were an estate agent at some point. Down, I was an estate down there agent well. to the point of that. Yeah. So basically, so let me work this out. <laughs> so we won the European Cup in two thousand and five, and that was like the, the the greatest summer of all time. And it was like England won the Ashes and all kinds. And I just kind of floated around doing odds and sods. So I worked for the estate agent for a bit over that summer, doing like just randomly walking the streets, looking for ra- other pe- other agencies' boards and noting them on a map. And that was fine because it was just I was out in the fresh air and what have you, and driving around and listening to listening to "Don't Believe the Truth" by Oasis was out. What were you time. listening on? On on a on a portable CD player, like, amazing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, and they, they were fucking shit, weren't they? Yeah. They were the worst. Unless they had a really good like buffer that so you know because if you got really shit ones, you literally had to carry them. Yeah, like, like that. This. Um, <coughs> so yeah, I went for Brit- I went for that, and then I got a job at British Gas. <laughs> selling gas and Alecki door to door and um 
I remember getting and being like dead made up for myself and we did like a month's training in Manchester and it was great and I was flying this was like this is incredible and then the real job started and it's like you've got to drive to a location in like Ormskirk for an example and there's a gang of lads all in the British gas coats and, and, the, and, the, and the British gas uniforms with the badges and all that and you get handed what was called like a knock sheet and it just had a list of addresses the, the people's names that they once knew lived there and an idea of whether they had certain products or whatever and you just had to fucking knock on doors and everyone's existed in this world and everyone's had these, these absolute knobheads turn up on the doorstep and that was me that did you me. did you enjoy people slamming the door in your face? It's the one of the most like there's some degrading, more degrading jobs you can do. I'm sure if you were like a jizz mopper at a porn theatre or something, that would be pretty degrading. But it wasn't <laughs> far from that. Um, it was just because you just for a start, you've got this information, so you've got people's names. Nobody likes nobody likes that. Nobody likes unsolicited people turning up on the door and going, "Hi, I'm Mrs. Jameson," and she's and they're like. How, who are you and why do you know my name? Don't worry, miss, I'm with I'm with British Gas, blah, blah, blah. And they're just basically like, okay, that's great, fuck off. Um, and having, you know, because it, it's it's sales, but sales is a horrible job to do at the best of times, but doing it where you are effectively doorstepping people is just, they, they, they had like terms for it about like, about like not letting negativity in and how to keep yourself in a positive mindset and all that kind of thing. And, <coughs> I think that's what everyone was doing to you, wasn't it? Honestly, yeah, yeah. But the, the, like you, we, we did training in neuro-linguistic linguistic programming about how you kind of get into people's heads, which is just when you get, people will know it, but when you get into that world, it's disgusting that that kind of thing exists about like basically trying to trick people into liking you and getting in, getting through it. But I work with some, a couple of nice people, but some of the biggest arseholes I've ever worked with in my life because you're on commission and um, there's just people out there I, I, I trained under a guy who was the head of the union and he was earning 70 grand a year selling gas and lecky on the door and his, 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 his number two was earning 50 grand and they were both just fucking liars horrible scumbag liars and they'd, <coughs> they'd ask for in their expression only have sheets in low dem areas and that was basically former council flats and they'd go in and they had some lie about how um cause because it all the all the meters had British gas on them from when it was it was nationalised. They'd say, Well, that's a British gas meter, and this other company's come in and they've put this standing charge on there. If you go back to British gas, we'll take that off you so you'll save this money and we'll be able to blah 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 blah. Just complete and utter horseshit. And they'd basically prey on people who weren't who, who, who were more vulnerable, older people, and people who hadn't weren't educated enough to be able to know to know better, and they would absolutely rinse it, and it was just yeah, one of the one of the the, the like you go home feeling dirty at the end of the at the end of the night because and they'd be going home fucking in the boss cars laughing their tits off yeah that they just essentially robbed someone. But we we were, there was one story when we went in when it's this it was in Norris Green and I I, I like everyone knows Norris Green it's like in, in Liverpool it's not. Quite a rough area. It's where my me, me dad and my nan and granddad and all that and, and that are from. So I grew up in the in my early years around around there, and I, we got into this house, and it was basically someone's nan, and we and he got in, and he and we and we signed him up to all these things, and they loved. They made us a cup of tea, and they were absolutely made up. And we got onto the street afterwards, and uh, we got out of earshot. Basically, he went. I went. Oh, we did a really good thing there. He went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put the gas and lecky up by fifty pound a month. But you know what? We've got all three, so I get a bonus for that. And it was like that could have been like my grandparents, so it could have been Absolutely. whatever. No, no, and, and that was when I was like, I, I, I mean, also because it was a shit job, and I was dead lazy, and I just wanted to go off and hang out with my mates in the daytime. I watched, 
several films while I was also technically on the books there. But yeah, it was um, yeah full of full of dickheads in school. Yeah, man. we've got some nice photos of you. I think in that British gas coat, haven't we? Mm, that, I love that. And to be fair, I actually genuinely love that. I love that jacket. I had a waterproof. Uh, uh, yeah, waterproof British gas coat, which it was the one thing that I robbed because it was a really nice, it was a really nice jacket. But yeah, do you remember the photos that I'm talking about? Oh, from my uh, stag do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we went gorge walking on Paul's stag do. Yeah. Now Paul loves many things. Paul is not one of those guys who likes the outside. I know. I completely not true. I love the outside. I love being outside. The active venture sort of lifestyle. <laughs> I find fucking weird, like people who climb mountains for a living. I mean, to be fair, some of it comes from like, like, like my uncle was a mountain climber and, and died climbing and Mont Blanc. Like, um, so like, I don't, I, I, I fucking, I detest that kind of thing, and I don't like those kind of people because people who thrill seek, it's like hey, your lives are so empty that you need to thrill seek, and then. What happens when it goes wrong? Oh no, you might get like respect in your community, but you've basically just robbed your family of you. Because what? Because you couldn't get fucking thrill out of having a normal life. So we, we weren't exactly, I wouldn't say we were thrill seeking as such, it was gorge walking, so it was very easy. Uh, and that's what we decided to do on your stag. I say we, I decided with our mates because we thought Paul would hate it. And yeah. we were right, Paul absolutely hated every second of it. But you wore this British gas jacket, Paul, mm. and we had to get into streams. And this British gas jacket was brilliant because A, it was waterproof, fantastic. <laughs> it was waterproof both ways. Yeah. But, but it also had ginormous, maybe five litre pockets. <laughs> yeah, right? like, yeah, And he got into the water and he filled up and were dragging you down at this point, weren't they? It was, the, there was a list of like <laughs> instructions of like what your clothing should be and it, in that was like a waterproof jacket. So yeah, no problem. No, And it, and it was like, and then I was like, why is this so hard? And effectively because the pockets were waterproof. <laughs> in both directions so like yeah you know rain on them that was going to keep water keep your things dry but if you were to literally fill them with water <laughs> the water would remain in said pockets yeah, you, had it, you had your life jacket on strapped over the top of the coat so there was no way you could just take your coat off or yeah, whatever, was yeah, there? yeah it was uh, it was a bad it was a bad it was a tactical a tactical <laughs> uh yeah wrong decision made as opposed to like was, was something i wasn't i wasn't in the mood for <laughs> something i didn't need to i was I, horrendously hung over and um it was funny because it starts off and it was like, and this girl's running, she's like, who's the stag? And it's like me. Well, come and stand by the ends of this jetty. And I was like, you gonna, are you going to push me in the water? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, I'll just jump in the water. I'll just jump in the water, thanks. And she was like, oh, okay. I was like, okay, this is, this is boss, isn't it? Yeah, you absolutely hated oh, it. Oh god, it was terrible. Yeah, we all loved it. We went go karting afterwards, and that was much, 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 much better. It was much better to be fair, but it was so fun. Um, so let's go back onto your history. Uh, let's skip forward a little bit. You working as an assistant manager in a pub on Allerton Road. Mm. Uh, you were fired, and this is kind of where the, the crux of this conversation I wanted to get to. Yeah, uh, I, I think there'll be a lot of people probably who've been in this situation before mm -hmm. and have dealt with it differently. How did? Getting fired from a job affect you at that time of your life? It was, it was, it's so weird because it ended up being, it was like the, it, 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 it moved into probably the hardest period of me of my life at that at that time, um, because I, it was a weird, it was a weird set of circumstances. I loved being, a, <laughs> I loved working in pubs and I loved working in bars because I've always been a bit of an, an extrovert. Certainly was when I got into my teenage years. I, I wasn't really before that, but I, um, I loved. 
the conversation, I loved the chat, I loved the bands. I loved, I, I thought of it, it was always a bit of a stage. I just I always thought of it as like everything within those four walls was, was mine. I'd have a laugh and I'd go and I'd speak to everyone. And I just was just an, a really, very outgoing person. And I and I, I genuinely genuinely loved it, even though it, you know the, the, it's a crap job working behind the bar, but it, it suited me and my lifestyle and my personality and all that stuff at that time. And then to then lose the job, and and it went and it kind of went in circumstances where I I like I, I actually really liked the people that I worked for as well at the time. Like it was it was it was it was independently owned, and they were it was a family of characters. But like I was I was clo- I was at the time I was close with with all of them. The dad was the owner, and I had a, a real a real respect for him. And then <coughs> circumstances kind of conspired, and for whatever reason, I'll never know the mindset behind it. But something a situation was engineered that was used to force me out, and it totally basically fucking cut the legs from under me. And it there was a weird sense of self-worth that goes with, you know, and a self-confidence that was just, I don't know, it was weirdly taken away from me. And then I had that spell where you then try, we went through, I had to go through tribunal and all that kind of stuff that followed. So it was months and months of not being able to, not having a job, not being able to get a job. Because when you're going into these other similar kind of jobs, people are going, well, why aren't you working? I said, well, I'm currently in an industrial tribunal, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, all right. Big fucking red light. Exactly. Won't be touching you. Whether, you know, and then when you, and you ever, you ever find in life when you have to over explain a, a story or a situation, it never sounds convincing, does it? And let's be honest, there's a bazillion people all going for those kind of jobs. You're going to take the one who's got some sort of <coughs> dodgy, potentially dodgy history or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was, it's all, it, 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 confidence how, how wise. How old were you at this point again? I'd have been, this was like 2007, just the start of 2007, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. So it was like January 2007, it was around my birthday. 25-ish, something like that. Yeah, yeah, 24. Yeah, 24 I'd have been, just just then. Like So, um, yeah, entering the, 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 the prime years and whatever. And, you know, throughout this time, I'd spent loads of time. I'd started to do little videos and little bits and pieces and just to kind of keep myself ticking over. But, like... That, that I don't know what it's, it's hard to explain because it sounds like nothing. But you, when you go from you, when something blindsides you like that, it and you don't see it coming. It can and when you you kind of singularly driven vision, you're totally bought into yourself. Maybe a bit up yourself or whatever at the time, and then you, and you think like everything's going well and you're liked and you and you, you're secure. When that gets taken from you, it's like having something part of you ripped out of you. And I found it very. Very difficult, and then all of a sudden, you know, again, I'm back on the dole. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mum and dad's. I'm struggling to make ends meet. I'd like, I'd bought this car when I got the British gas job. I couldn't afford to make payments and all this kind of stuff on it, and so I ended up back at like, effectively square one with no prospects, no money, and not being able to do anything about it. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was. A, a so bit how of a long were you on the dole for? It was probably. It was it was months like it was. Uh, I remember taking you down there every was it Thursday or Tuesday morning. It was every couple of weeks. I think it was. You had to go down like um, yeah. I, <laughs> I do remember. I remember when I signed on because it was like a couple. It was a couple of weeks after I, 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 I got I got sacked and I'd, I had a little bit of like your, your remaining wages or whatever. And I just went out on a massive bender for a fortnight and. Um, um, basically, I, I ended up back in, back in Sheffield and but out with my mates, and then I, I was just I was ruined. I was absolutely ruined, and I came back and I had to sign on, um, on like the the Monday morning or whatever. And I like I had no voice. I was just an absolute shell wreck of a man. And um, the guy interviewing me went, 
Yeah, like, are you all right? I was like, yeah. And he went, right, listen. Goes around, pulls his drawer, pulls his piece of paper out and slides it across the desk to him. And he goes, this might help you get some more benefits here. And it was like, um, like a declaration, I am a recovering drink or drug abuser. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was, it was around. So I signed on around then, um, and it was probably it, it was probably within that year. Probably the vast majority, I think. Certainly all that summer, I think I was. I, I, I struggled to get back. How into did it affect your relationship with your mum and dad? That was. It's tough because you go back in. You live. You, everyone has this when they, if you ever go away to university or you go away, whether even whether you're eighteen or not, you you you're grown up. You're an adult and you get to set your own rules and your own boundaries and you've got your own life. And it was weird being back anyway. Even even though I was working, I was earning money. It put a strain on the relationship because I was basically living the other twelve hours of the day. But then when you go back to it, and all of a sudden you're in your mid twenties, you're unemployed. You can't then contribute towards rent and then. You know, it, it, it puts a strain because you can't be an adult. You effectively regress to being a, a kid because you are at the mercy. And, you, and I'm lucky, you know, I, this is not a, a sob story because, you know, I'm lucky the women that were able to, to, they still had a bedroom for me, that they still had, they could still put food on the table for me, et cetera, et cetera. But again, as far as like wanting to be this outgoing, effervescent adult who's ready to conquer the world, you know, like I said, I moved back to Liverpool with the intent of, be, making me name and fame and fortune and, and and being the next, you know Edgar Wright or being the next Steven Spielberg etc. And a year on and I'm living in my mum and dad's with earning what living off fifty quid a, a, a week or whatever whatever it was eighty eight quid a fortnight I think it was at the time, um, and yeah you know my mum and dad had always had a very close relationship but it's like having for them you got another adult living in your house who's steadfast in their belief of ways and, and blah 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 yeah it, it meant it, it meant it was tense I think uh, at best um, and it meant that I just was desperate to just not be in the house so you end up out at mates houses and you end up sleeping on couches and you end up sleeping on floors and you end up doing whatever and getting up at waking up at midday and then staying in that house and like, staying out for days so yeah I was a basically I was a, a fucking mess around that time so what when did you come out the other side? So it's it's interesting because <laughs> I the real bonus that comes out of it, and it ended up being the thing that turned my life around at the same time, was the weeks after losing my job, we were out in town on this mega bender, and I actually met me now wife out out at that time, and that was like she was the one who ended up kind of starting to put me on on the straight and narrow to some extent because all of a sudden. I had, I had another place to be. I had another place I could go. I, I could go and be a bit more grown up and, and, and more mature. She had a flat a, 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 about a 10 minute walk away from my mum and dad's, which is great. And we started to spend more and more time together. And then it became that, more and more, it became me spending time with her rather than maybe spending time with mates who weren't, let's say, <coughs> the best influence at the time. You know, you know, we know, we, we shared friends who are, all, they've all pretty much come out the other side of it now, and I think everyone has this of a certain age. You all, when you, you've got a group of mates and then you, you're, at, you're out and you're out and playing, you might be in parks, and then maybe you end up in one person's bedroom. Or, and, and you're all there and gradually everyone kind of moves away and gets on with their lives and I was one of the last ones to sort of leave that room you'd long since gone you'd got a you had a job you were settled down you you were in a relationship you'd been in a long-term relationship around that time um and that was what slowly started to like pull me kicking and screaming out of being this absolute 
fucking dickhead. Well, dickhead, sc- scumbag, like <coughs> no ambition, no drive, whatever. And so yeah, you know, and I, I got around that period. Then you know, I got uh, started working for you, and then um, I had enough money to start putting some money in towards rent, and moved in with me girlfriend who became fiance became wife and that was the the catalyst that kind of turned my life around really so there you go you just need a charlie machin to turn your life around yeah. it's that simple oh, see, there to. you go that's all it is no but it's true but it's it, it's uh, there was a point in <laughs> in that and i remember uh, so many relationships that i had had that totally fell to bits because the lord of being with me mates was more and it was always like i could go to my, my girlfriend's house but what are we mates doing? I don't want to miss out. I don't want what if they're doing something brilliant and something fun and I'm sat here watching Corrie with, with with a girl and um and she was the first time where I was like, I'd rather just be rather just be with her. I remember one we had a massive Barney and I got out and I and it and funnily enough, it's one of those things that like it wasn't necessarily in my hands this, but I'm a phone and my mates and not getting an answer. <coughs> and it gave me like half an hour to stew on it. And I did, and I was like, You've been a dickhead there. And phoning her up and then coming back and making up and then like that ended up being and it was funny that she cites that as a, as a time when in a normal relationship that might have been the end of it or i might have you know previous boyfriends would have walked away and it ended up being like yeah again like one of those moments that you look back on and go if i, I, I in another time another place i'd have just gone gone to my mate's houses <coughs> reverted to type and I probably not ended up that. yeah exactly it's mad in it so now we're going to go on to the, the final section of the show then uh, we're going to try and answer some tweets and stuff and comments from last week's uh, YouTube video. They're all taken from last week's YouTube video. If you've not watched MXP number one, then do go and check that one out. Uh, but we'll start with Nick Miller. I won't be long until you guys are 50 years old. Hey, that's a topic why these guys talk about no longer being 18, basically getting old and how it's not bloody fair. Uh, why do we have to get old and how fucking frustrating is it? It's not, it, to be fair, it's still a while till we're 50. It's not long till we're 40. Um, I'll be honest. Like that, that I, I'm not asked about being older. I'm asked about how much harder it gets to just be. Like, I've had bad knees since I was 13 or whatever. I've been I'm in better health now than I've probably been over the last 10 years. But like the gym the other week, I've just hurt my knees again. I've exacerbated it, and now I, I can't. Go, I'm like, oh, that's the bad to go downstairs, and I'm thinking, <coughs> this is not getting better. When I'm 50, 60, 70, I'm not going to be fine. This is not going to be a problem that goes away. It's a problem I've had for 20 years. It's not of 20, more than 20 years. It's not going to be, yeah. So it's all the little stupid things that you took for granted that now are loads more difficult. Picking things up off the floor, for example. For me, it's just shit. All of it's just shit, Paul, because it's all the stuff that you've just mentioned there. It's your knees, it's your back. Sometimes my back can just be bad. Like, that's something that an old person says. It's my back. It's mm. like fucking hell. The amount of times I have to say that I can't pick you up, my back. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm basically turning into my mum and my dad. <laughs> yeah. But then that's the other thing that getting old, why it's shit. Because all of a sudden, you look at your mum and dad and you, you look at them in a different light mm. when you get to a certain age. So I don't know whether it was like I was maybe 30. And do you know what it was, right? I was 32, I think, when Robin was born our first. And that was the same age as my mum and dad. And my mum, I think, was 32 when she had me or my dad, one of the two. It'd be easy for me to work out, I can't be asked. And I remember looking, I just look, kind of looked at them then and was like, ah, shit, they're getting on there. And then now my dad's like 70 next year. And then all of a sudden, that those people who were just like unbreakable to you, yeah, and now 70 year old, and my dad who never 
was ever ill during his entire life when he lost his business and um he, he put his shoulder out and he couldn't carry on with his business and stuff and then some bad shit happened which i'm sure we can talk about another day um and then he, he, he's just not the same person like his hearing's gone his fucking teeth are falling out he's 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 just old yeah and then everything's breaking every couple of weeks some it's always something wrong with him so it's not as much me getting old but it's the people that i love in my life getting old that yeah, that, that, that pains me more yeah it's the shift it's, it's the fact that everything moves <laughs> along everything everything slides up towards death um, it's the it's the when it's having kids it's because Kids grow up like that. Now, when you're kid, and there's a, there's a reason for this is because of how much life you have. The more life you have, the more you have it to the time of life to compare against. So, when you're five, a year is a fifth of your entire life. Whereas Seems when like you're thirty, it's a thirtieth. You know what I mean? That, so a year flies by because it's a much shorter life comparative to what you've to what you've lived so far. Um, the thing I find most difficult about all of this, <coughs> it's not that I'm not eighteen anymore. It's that I think I am eighteen in my head. And and I am very much not, and it's the and, and I and I've realised that like the, the people I will have judged at eighteen are now people who are, are now are now in my age. You know what I mean? And he's looking, God, he's so old. And I and when I watch football and I think about like James Milner being old, Stop and he's like James Milner's being old. He's like four years younger than me. <laughs> It's very, very upsetting. Um, so yeah, it's that's the thing is that you ne- as a as a as a man, you never actually age mentally. You can become more experienced and more seasoned and you can get a, a greater grasp on certain situations and you know to avoid certain pitfalls. But ultimately, like I to think that the stuff we just talked about, like 2005 to me, I was an adult. You know, I was 23 years old or whatever at the time. 22, Were you acting like 22. <sighs> You know, at the time probably felt it was. But the, but the point is, once you turn 19, 20, 21, you're effectively a grown. You are more or less the person... <coughs> That you are, you just you become a variant on that person as you get older. You don't fundamentally change anymore, so you don't, and you have all those memories, so you don't feel any particular difference. It's just when you look in the mirror and you start to see grey hairs, and it's like, oh hello, hello, where did you come from? It's also like having to fucking watch what you eat, like that shit, isn't it? You know what I mean? Now it happened pretty early for me, Mm. and I didn't, and and this is the problem that I'm still I'm still in right now, but like. Like, I think you can pretty much... You don't get a hangover, I think, until you're 22 years old. Not a proper fucking hangover. Oh, yeah, you think you get them. You think, but you don't know. Like, a two-day fucking can't function function is a hangover, which I think you start getting when you're about 22, something like that. But then you just start putting on weight because you eat shit. Mm. And then now, all of a sudden, you're mid-30s, you don't have time. A A lot of people don't have time to exercise. So you've got to watch what you're eating, which is fucking shit. And we've just come off the back of Easter, and you can't just eat... Easter eggs all day. I mean, that's what adulting is, Paul. It's mm. shite. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's that you can now afford. You do. You get to do the shopping, and you can buy whatever you want. So you can go and buy a whole packet of uh, a packet of jammy dodgers if you want, and you can eat them all because no one's going to tell you not to eat them. And that's what real life is: is the realization that there's no rules. There aren't any rules. You can do whatever the fuck you want at all times. But there are consequences to those actions, and no, and and it happens like it's like when you first get your um, you first have to pay your council tax, and you get your first reminder letter, or rather, you get your your second reminder letter, and you realise that you don't get any more reminder letters after that, and if you don't do it, you get a summons, and you get all this, and then all of a sudden, you you know you you, you you're in massive massive trouble, and no one comes across and goes. 
mate, that needs to get sorted. Otherwise, you're going to be in, in big shit. Well, they do because it's a fucking letter and it's printed. Um, <coughs> but that thanks below email. <laughs> absolutely. So, so yeah, I, I can reply to it at me le- at me leisure. Absolutely, yeah. But it's more efficient. That's the that's the thing. Right, James Button. Can you speak about general funny stories and life lessons from back in your teens and twenties? Yeah, well, defo. One hundred percent. If you if you're here for that, uh, yeah. I was stabbed once with a compass. No, with a knife. With a knife. You know this story. Was it was it by a chef? It was by a chef. Were you a KP? I was a KP at the time. So what happened was uh, I was working in a kitchen. And I used to have loads of injuries in the kitchen because I'm quite a clumsy person. I say quite, I mean very. Um, and basically what I was doing was completely just working in my own little section, doing the dishes, probably 15, 16 years old, something like that. Tying my shoelace on the top of the sink because I'm, I'm a maverick and I didn't want to lean down to do it. So I put my foot up on the sink and tied my shoelace. And my head chef come in and, and basically stabbed me in the foot. <laughs> Right, which took me a little bit by surprise, to say the very least. It turns out that he was trying to cut my shoelaces, but what he did use was a 30-centimetre kitchen knife. <coughs> and he went like that, and it went through my trainer, into my foot, at the top there. Anyway, uh, needless to say, an ambulance was called, and I get into this fucking ambulance, and I'm having to protect my head chef at this point, who, by the way, is one of my best mates. Um, is this Carl? It's Carl, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'm trying to protect him, so I turn to the boss, and he's like, what happened? And he's like, he's on the bounce, like, and he was an angry little fuckwit with Steve, and he bounces, what happens? And I'm like, I dropped the knife on my foot, and he's like, you're a fucking dickhead, and they basically called me Blade Runner for the next two years while he was there. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, I'm in the fucking ambulance, and my mum gets called, and she's in a right tears, like, she's a fucking... Of course she is. She's... I love it a bit. Brenda loves a panic. Fuck me, she loves a panic. Like, and uh, we're in there, and the 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 nurse uh, he, he asked me to take my sock off, and I'd not cut my nails for let's just say a little while, and my mum fucking bollocked me, <laughs> bollocked me. Not about the knife, about my toenails being too fucking long. Uh, like, you know what I mean? It's like fuck off, mum, and I'm like getting so embarrassed because there's two fucking there's a nurse, there's two nurses there, and she's bollocking me about my fucking toenails. This is the same attitude though. <laughs> And my mum had this, and now my wife's got this of like when a someone you've a person you've never met before in your entire life, and you will never meet again after this fact comes into contact with you. It's like you have to make sure that everything is in its perfect state. Like we had someone come out to fix the washing machine, and the house had to be cleaned within an inch of its life. I was like the washing machine repairman. Honestly, does not give it's a not fuck. Blacklisting, yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. I mean, as long not as going that not, house again, I know as long as he's not crawling through wading through knee-high filth to get to it, then you'd be absolutely fine. Um, One other one that I don't think I've ever told you about, because I only remembered this one the other week. We went out for um, a bite to eat. Uh, We went back to the Britannia, where I used to work, uh, the pub on Riverside Drive, or you might call it the Dock Road, whatever, you'd be wrong. Um, (laughs) I lived above there, and I don't know if I've ever told you this one. They used to have this massive, like, chandelier coming down in the centre of the room. You worked there as well, I worked there you? for a bit, yeah. Like, do you remember it right in the middle of the restaurant, this huge sort of chandelier? That was one of my summer of 2005 jobs, I forgot <laughs> Right. And it was about 6.45, 6.30 in the morning, and I needed to change a light bulb. So I got up on the ladder, and I electrocuted myself changing the light bulb, and fell off it and knocked myself out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the cleaner... 
thought I was dead when she came in. Like, there's, I'm just on the floor, completely knocked out. There's a ladder there and, like, a fucking broken lamp or something. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I'd fallen, like, fucking was... seven, eight feet off a fucking ladder. <laughs> <laughs> off a fucking electrocution from a fucking light bulb. I'm so sorry. That's not good. I was going to tell a story, actually, but now that you've <laughs> reminded me about the Britannia, there's a great story from the Britannia. That, uh, one of the few shared stories we have from that job was me, Chris, and a, and a mutual friend of ours, Robin, had gone out for a night out the night before, and we got absolutely bladdered. <coughs> and we ended up in, I want to say... It might have been Bato or something like that. It was one of those like in, one of those indie bars in, in in town. And I again, this was during my I have no money. I'm largely unemployed phase of my life. So I, I needed both of the lads around me in order to like basically help me get help me get home to share the taxi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We lost you, and in order to find you, we did the old movie. Let's split up because we can cover more ground. <laughs> I never saw Robin again that night. Uh, I had no money to my name. I had to walk home from town, which is a good like fifty minute walk. Um, and I, I, so I walked home and stopped at his house on the way back just to see if he was he was there. He was all right. You were flying to Barcelona <laughs> with your misses the next morning at like six o'clock in the morning or whatever. Um, the next day, I woke up hung over to sin and I turned up to work and. The, the pub had been broken into and robbed and I turned up not knowing this and there's police there and I go and bear in mind all three of us work in this pub at the time and you're the manager who's got access to the safe I walk in and go has anyone heard from Chris and Robin because we were out on the lash last night and, and they both went missing and I've not seen them and you can see the police going <coughs> Hmm. Takes notes down. Um, yeah, so I, 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 and you, you, and you, of course, got on a plane and flew to another country conspicuously at the same time that the pub that you were in charge of got robbed. Um, yeah, so that was it. That was, that I got was questioned it. when I came back. <laughs> Fantastic. The only other one I briefly want to mention before we move on was, um, I once told the lead singer from the Human League, um, it was Phil Oakey, I believe, um, that it wasn't important. I, I introduced myself because my mate, I was mates with their keyboardist at the time. Um, I said it wasn't important that I remember his name, bladdered by the way. It was more important that he remembered my name because I was going places. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I was wrong, wrong, but I also, I. Dickhead. Life did yeah no life did not take off from that point yeah I'm a dickhead and I, my life went very much through the fucking shitter miles and miles Andy Dufresne style crawling through the length of seven football fields worth of shit before I've emerged to be the man I am today um, and Phil Oakey again from the Human League who travels the world being a, a famous eighties pop singer rightly probably thought I was a massive gobshite right two more questions Bob Bob. Talk about your blue coat days. I'm there in year 13 now. When did you meet there and what happened? Let's talk about one specific story. I think we mentioned it briefly um, on one of the Red Men shows this week. Uh -huh. Let's talk about general studies. Okay. So Chris and I <coughs> went to the same school from, from age 11, but we never really crossed paths because it was a massive school. Because you were in the rubbish classes. We were in the intelligent ones. Rubbish. We were in the ones. So basically, <laughs> forms are graded with school. We didn't know this at the time, but I know this now. Are graded by intelligence. 
Um, no, not not true at all. It's one hundred percent true. It's not. Basically, anyone that was cool and was good at sports were in two sets, and the intelligent people were in the other two. He makes it sound like it was the unintelligent. You can be both. You just can't be good at sports in one of your classes. I was in the football team and in the intelligent classes. You were, so. a, goal, you were a goalkeeper, Paul. Still, um, Chris was neither. Um, B team for a bit. B team. B team for a bit. Yeah, B team. Um, yes, we didn't have class. We didn't have classes together uh, until sixth form. I don't. I don't really think we ever had any classes together until general studies came up in A level. And um, can you can you remember what the name of this class was? No. It was like something like appreciating art or some shit like that. It was some bullshit excuse. And you had you had to pick a handful of them and, and ultimately general studies, you had to pick them to fit around the rest of your the rest of your lessons. So I got into we started this class and we picked it to, I think we picked it together and we, we ended up sat together for There's the no first time ever. I would have picked that if you weren't in that class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we picked it. And it's a wonderful insight into the mind of Chris Pajak, by the way. And following on from our conversations of last week, how Chris does does things sometimes. They were taking the register, and obviously M becomes before P, Machin before Pajak. So when the name come round, Paul Machin, Chris puts his hand up and goes, here. So the teacher then automatically thinks, well, there you go, Paul Machin's here. So I'm left with Chris Pajak. Here. Which was hilarious, absolutely hilarious. We got to pick an artist that first lesson who'd inspired <coughs> us and do a talk on them. We picked Neil Buchanan from Art Attack. We've always been a great team. Um, Needless to say, this went on for three or four weeks. A few weeks until I was forced to change one of my lessons around because I think I changed, I changed sets, I think, in French. Um, so I had to, I did French, I did French at level. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre in French, um, so I I couldn't go to that class anymore, and you could. Yeah. So we were left with a situation where I basically had to admit what had happened. Well, basically, before that, <coughs> Chris Pajak got in big trouble for not turning up to his general studies lessons, and at which point Chris had to fess up and say, "I've been here all along. It was a humorous jape um, for me to pretend to be another student. It's backfired massively because now I've got a note against me on my permanent record for not turning up to lessons. Can you please? I'm here. I'm here. Everything's I don't fine. remember what happened with that class. I don't remember if I ever finished it or what. Like I can't even really remember anything past those first few weeks. To be fair, this was also around the time. <laughs> <laughs> where you decided to take a week off school to play chat manager. It was a good decision. It was a solid decision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen to some good albums then. There's plenty of there's plenty of blue coat days. I feel sorry for anyone who goes to that school because it's fucking shit. It's like Hogwarts without the magic. Um, it's, it's totally true. Yeah. Uh, last question, a man like Rudolph. A GCSE is worth the stress and probably gonna fail, so does it matter? Yeah, uh, quick answer, yeah. Uh, longer answer, not really. Yeah. Um, so no, here's the thing, right? I want. I heard this this week or last week, something like that, where basically someone that I'd spoken to had said they just blagged the GCSE results on CVs <laughs> and their A levels because no manager ever checks. They don't ask for the certificates of your GCSE results, so it can technically doesn't fucking matter. Can I ask you? 
Did you ever use the fill? You know, they gave you that record of achievement folder thing. Yeah. Did you ever put your stuff in it? No. No. My wife's <laughs> is absolutely glorious. Has she it's ever been asked beautiful. to get it out? Um, I think in the early days of teaching, yes. But like now, I, you know. But I looked at it. Mine's probably got like me, uh, me five meters certificates. certificates in it or something like that. Me Coca Cola soccer schools past certificates from when I was on the Ian Rush fucking got, soccer schools. It's got not on absolutely not on in it. Um, so you can, yeah, I think you can, I think you can pretty much just blag results because nobody like I worked as a manager for let's say ten years probably give or take um, never 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 asked for GCSE results certificates or A level results certificates or in fact proof that you did pass university with the grades that you said you did uh, but what I will say is having and we've talked about some of Paul's shit jobs already today having worked a lot of shit jobs you really do need to get them at the same time because um what happens is you get shit GCSE results you get shit A levels you settle to go to a shit course in university you either pass that or you fail that you come out you're miles behind where people are who have actually done work in all of this and you end up in a job that you don't really like and one of the things that you have when you're growing up is you mentioned it again before this fear of missing out mm. and this fear of missing out is like a night out with your mates or something like that right imagine that that you're missing that friday night out because you might be revising spread over 15 years because you're working in catering yeah like you know you know what i mean like there's a fear of missing out on one good night out yeah i missed birthdays fucking footy matches all kinds everything you know because i was working in catering and it's proper shit i think of it like you do GCSEs are important like the exams and, stuff, and ultimately your results because you're right you can blag your results it's what you learn in GCSEs if you want to go to higher education having good I, I was limited because I couldn't be asked to change where I went to sixth form so I just stayed in, I stayed in blue because it was easy it was like a default I just basically turned up on the first day and I was still enrolled um, rather than doing anything else but I could I could you had in that, in that school you had to have I think a B, a B grade or above to be able to study that subject so that limited what I was able to study at A level and I, I hated my A levels as a kind of as a result. I didn't have many options. I could go. I had. I was left with. I hated French at A level, and the only thing I could change it to was Spanish. And it's like great. I'm better at. I'm better at French than Spanish. So, you know what I mean. What's the fucking What's the fucking point? Um, so in that regard, you, you open more doors to yourself in at that at that stage. I don't think you necessarily need A levels. I think you can go and do whatever. And the world's changed. That you can kind of be. There's more avenues to be different things. But if you want to go down the traditional get a job route ha- knowing stuff helps having bits of those bits of paper and stuff to back it up is, is dead right because look there's not a great there's a, just a ton of just jobs that you that you can walk into with a bit of nice common sense and, and, and the gift of the gab the, the people who go on and earn mega money and do the big the big stuff the really important stuff or whatever they tend to be on a on a pathway to it i say keep your options open and, and Exams ultimately are just a method by which people who don't really want to know you get to get an understanding of you, which isn't fair, but it is. It's like, it's like how you drive on your driving test. Mm. Doesn't really define you as a driver. It's not going to change how you drive for the rest of your life. But you need to do mirror signal maneuver. You need to move your head. You need to you be need to show them that you can. Essentially, exactly. that's all you do exactly. with a driving test, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah, definitely. So there you go. That's uh, that's been the second MXP podcast. Paul, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah. Sai, thank you very much for cutting it all together. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Leave us your thoughts, of course, in the comment section. Leave us some questions for next week to answer. At Five the end. star reviews because this should Ooh. be available on audio platforms. Yeah, we're gonna have a chat about that straight after this. <laughs> 
<laughs> Eventually it will be. Yeah. Five star reviews. No, yeah, seriously, thanks very much for your comments. Leave us your thoughts in the comment section below. Like the video, subscribe to MXP if you haven't already. I so nearly said the Redman TV then. Years and years of practice. Did you ever see the first ever that <laughs> Soccer USA show that Tim Lovejoy did? He left Soccer AM and he did this in the first episode. He basically tried to do the uh, the writer email address and basically said Soccer AM and then went, there you go, I've been doing that for 15 years and that's the problem. So yeah, are you, what, what, what's a pass? I mean, no one had noticed if you hadn't said it. And then I'd drawn further attention to it. It is true. No better way to end than that really. Share the podcast if you enjoyed it. That's the most important thing to do, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.